So I think we began the some of the teachings with is considering the <coughs> paradigm of of uh, insight practice, which basically keeps revealing change, impermanence, insubstantiality, uh, thoughts, moods, feelings, contexts, just continually shifting and moving, changing. Yeah. And, you know, which is very unstable um, scenario. And yet, process of a deepening sense of inner stability which we call peace, nibbana, cessation, detachment, dispassion, relinquishment. It's virtually um, something stops or ceases and then because of that or dependent upon that we feel stable, relaxed, free. Mm. So we're not. Uh, so the awareness of changeability doesn't send us into into a um, process of insecurity. We're actually of deepening security. And this is the, if you like, the paradox. Yeah. And so, so I'm suggesting at times we kind of keep hitting this paradox in time in different ways. Uh, like, uh, Particularly on the external level, where the inter, you know, the process of, of meditation is of change and impermanence and not self, and yet monasteries are incredibly fixed in many ways. You know, we have all sorts of buildings and things, and people become particular officers within that <coughs> responsibilities, where you get kind of quite fixed in a role or a position, and the communities kind of tends to depend upon that that fixity in order to to manage itself mm. and there's all kinds of uh, rules and training procedures that we see as um, definite structures to abide within in some sense this remains this is this is steady it's stable see so this kind of you know mix mix of it And in brief, the theme is that uh, certain structures are held you know, in order to allow other structures to, to dissolve. Mm. So we hold a particular form of behavior in order to allow uh, carelessness, confusion, recklessness to, you know, these places in us to to, to come to light and to dissolve the unskillful tendencies by being held within something that uh, maintains a sense of skillful actions. Then you witness the unskillful tendencies arise in the mind and the restraint from acting upon them, acknowledge them, try to, under- try to witness them, feel what they feel like, is there a place where that can be let go of, where that where that can kind of 
end, when we wake up to it. Of course, this is um, something we don't necessarily do. That is, we tend to see something as wrong and therefore just shut, stop, you know, and close it. Don't go there. Don't think that, don't feel that. Stop, stop doing it. End, you know. <laughs> so when you suddenly take on a whole load of training precepts, you can get quite quite rigid, quite fixed, quite because of this sense where you can't act upon it, therefore stop it if it's bad, therefore even be ashamed of it. And so what, what occurs is rather than actually witnessing unskillful tendencies how what they're about and how they cease we kind of just stop we we cut off from it it's a tendency to just suppress it this is the this is something that can be done and at occasions perhaps needs to be done you know, if you're about to do something really unskillful then suppression is a is usually a last ditch um, resource <laughs> Is, the Buddha d- does mention this, you know, just clank, clench your jaw, tighten your fists, whatever it is, to hold yourself from doing something really unskillful. But this is, if you like, the end of the line, not a uh, recommended uh, procedure. So, we, the, as in the, one of the suttas where the Buddha talks about. You know, somebody saying the noble one is one who has no unskillful actions regarding thought or speech or mind. And the Buddha said, no, that's not so. Otherwise, uh, your newborn baby would be be an arahant because they don't have any unskillful thoughts. They can't even think yet. They haven't got any unskillful actions. They They can't physically act yet. Yeah. So it's, but these tendencies lie dormant, latent tendencies. So the noble one is not someone who doesn't have these, but one who witnesses these unskillful tendencies as they arise, catches them with mindfulness, uh, penetrates them, steadies them, steadies their awareness in the presence of these unskillful, knows why it's unskillful, not because somebody else told me so, because it actually feels distressing, confusing, agitated, painful, taking me to a place of um, intensity, passion, something that I begin to learn to, to, you know, feel distaste for. No, this is not noble, this is not beautiful, this is not the best of me. This is me being angry or clutching or short-tempered or whatever it is, demanding. This is me being fearful, paranoid and suspicious, mistrustful. This is not a good place. And then opening awareness around that so that we counteract negativity, the closing down, the abandoning ourselves to ignorance, the loss of presence, stay present with that, dispassion. This is where you go from acknowledgement 
and non-attachment, viveka moves to dispassion, which means you begin to see this really as not, not mine. Mm. It takes a while, you know, because the tendency is so automatic. And it's partly to do with the, the speed in which our system reacts to these tendencies as they arise. There's an immediate kind of a flurry into it or rushing out of it or blustering or flustering or cramping. So you don't really see the thing. Immediately, oh, it happens as a reflex. It's not a conscious decision, it's a reflex, something we've got used to doing, conditioned into. So you need to kind of just slow down. Take time. Stop fighting it. This is the way you really see some of these tigers of the mind as, as paper tigers. Just, it's just that. It's just the, the fear or the need. Again, mm. taking another form. Just the wanting, the desire, the craving again. The shame again. Mm. There's a sense of, you know, as we go through this, you become dispassionate, no longer hypnotized, disenchanted by these sankharas. And then they, then they cease. They unravel. It's like they need you to get involved in order to keep going. They need that kick, that surge of belief. They need to get you rattled in order to keep going. They don't get you rattled, they don't get the energy. They don't get their conviction. If you remain unconvinced, not getting rattled, not reacting, they cease, they're not getting food. Food is ignorance. Ignorance and more, which compounds more sankhara more conditions, more formations. On top of the, the desire comes the fear. On top of the fear comes the, the, the uh, aversion. On top of the aversion comes the tension. On top of the tension comes the distraction. On top of the distraction comes the fantasies. On top of the fantasies come the desires. Come the desires comes the shame, comes the fear, and so forth. You go round and round these sankara labyrinths, compounding it. So this is going to be very complex and sometimes the mind is just a, like a menagerie of babble of these things kind of bubbling up and being somebody trying to control it, make it quiet. And really sometimes you just have to just step back from the whole scenario and just let it blow. <laughs> and walk up and down, let it, just let it blow off. Because it's just too co- too much, too complex, to really start to develop, you know, any any close attention. And the re- reflexes are so hair triggered. As soon as you, as soon as there's an attention to it, there's an immediate kind of tensing up and trying to stop it. So it doesn't go to cessation. You, it goes to cessation. You don't cease it. It goes to cessation by itself. You don't do it. 
you do it, that's annihilation. That's not cessation. Cessation is restful, peaceful, born of relinquishment, ease, trust, spaciousness. Then the steam blows out, mind calms down. And in the ceasing is peace. This is the process that occurs for all of us, either in specific experiences, like very specific ones, you know, craving over chocolate or something, you really witness it, where it's just to a level of kilesa, where you've got one particular thing you get obsessed with. Mm-hmm. But then kilesas are like, if you like, they're the tip of the iceberg, no, you might, you know, food kalesa, um sexual kalesas, things where you actually just keep obsessing a particular point. But these sit on the bigger, bigger sankara of, I need to be filled by something, yeah. which is bigger and deeper and shakier. Mm-hmm. Covers all kinds of things when you, you see how these kind of rather embarrassing little surface desires are really uh, connected to something much larger, the whole hunger for being filled, karma, so a flood of sensuality, a real push to be filled by bacon and eggs, (laughs) sausages, thank you, rock and roll, whatever it is, you know, just just to really binge out and relax. <laughs> and yeah, if it, if, it, if it would work, then this would be our path. It? But, it, but uh, uh, I think with a little bit of experimentation, it doesn't actually work. There's folks out there doing this all the time. After all, it doesn't, doesn't hit, the, hit the button anymore. You know, sense indulgence doesn't doesn't do it, doesn't satisfy because it's not. It's really a kind of a, a, a sort of a, a decoy. Mm. Sense sensuality doesn't actually fill us. For a moment, it showers. It you'd a drench, like it's like a brief shower of satisfaction. <laughs> Buddha likened it to. Uh, uh, leper scratching his sores for a moment is that oh a relief <laughs> but then of course uh, it doesn't actually cure the disease mm. but to understand you know so these, some of these kilesas defilements can be useful, you know, following just to really what what actually is being wanted here. Mm. What do you think this? What does it feel like this provide? Probably something like relaxing, feeling filled, feeling satisfied. Oh, that's an now that's a good message. 
to follow. What would it feel like? And you feel you perhaps your some of your muscles relax, the subtle things in your face relax, your sense of edges and boundaries soften, you no longer feel quite so so sort of held in, you didn't even realise it until you relaxed. Because these things don't they don't when we're in them we don't really notice them. You just feel normal. Kind of a bit uptight but normal. Mm-hmm. So it's you bring this in and feel some of your edges relax and you your kind of temperament drops, you even sometimes your voice drops a tone. <laughs> What's happening? You know, coming into your body, feeling easy there. That's necessary. You can feel the results of that. So sometimes sense, sense objects provide us with the possibility of being a bit more fully in our bodies which is important you know something that never really relaxes unless we can feel comfortable warm satisfied you know in a bodily sense actually you can you know the best way to do this you know in brief is to to meditate (laughs) if you know how to do it you know that's the best way to do it but of course it isn't necessarily that straightforward yeah because meditation itself tends to seem like some kind of heady activity or even perhaps an emotional activity but it's uh, one level it's a, it's a bodily sense it's really exploring the, the landscape of the felt body how the body feels and breathing and, and easing and working with that till the body feels internally like a place you'd like to be. So the cessation is dependent upon other factors arising that allow things to cease. Factors, say, uh, mindfulness, uh, rapture, ease, investigation, the enlightenment factors. If your body is at ease and refreshed, the mind naturally, heart naturally relaxes, subsides, it's got somewhere to sit. So this is important. Sometimes, you know, Really, you know, what what necessary to to do that? Now, actually, though, though we may feel well, you know, meditation is mindful and uh, being mindful and so forth. Mindfulness actually isn't the beginning of it, nor the end of it. It's a very important factor in cultivation, but really, the beginning of it is right view. There are two kinds of right view, the ordinary right view and then the right view which occurs with realisation. Ordinary right view is just knowing cause and effect. You do something, there's an effect. You do something, there's an effect. You think something, there's an effect. You react emotionally, there's an effect. Mm -hmm. And also, right view means that you've inherited effects. So there are two sets, if you like. There's what we inherit, which is called vipaka, 
old stuff, old inheritance. The body's an inheritance. The sense bases are an inheritance. A lot of the patterning of the mind is an inheritance. Patterning of the mind, I mean social customs. I mean the way we feel with other people. I mean the way we feel about um, older senior people or the way we feel about women or the way we feel about men or the way we feel about equals or lessers or whatever, you know. And of course in this kind of community there's all kinds of complexities here because people have different, we park around that and even different cultures have different ways of expressing uh, safety, warmth, trust, humour, friendship or disapproval. Mm. And really ironic when one set of one uh, culture uh, gestures of friendship equal somebody else's sense of disapproval. <laughs> I remember so teasing. So I remember, you know, in, in English culture, teasing people is considered a sign of, of some affection. It means, hey, we're close enough for me to. To, to insult you gently, you know, gently tease you. Other cultures don't have that. So I remember Tanatika, he used to get quite upset because I'd tease him. Because in Sweden, you d- don't do that, you know. You just say things that if you're fond of somebody, you say, I'm fond of you. You don't do that in England. That's kind of a bit, kind of gross, a bit forward. Instead, you tell them what an idiot they are. <laughs> <laughs> in a kind of friendly way. And then they get the message, you see. I don't know why, it's just the way it is. <laughs> so I so said, oh no, he's, he means he's teasing, it means he really likes you. Oh. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be difficult. And uh, in monastic circles, then... Uh, you know, difficulty around separation, the way we sit in particular lines and forms creates a feeling of, well, you know, something you feel held or constrained, maybe shouldn't be here, not welcome, separated, can't come into contact, something wrong, something wrong, <laughs> you know, and pushes buttons for us, some levels, hierarchies push buttons for us. So we're actually in a pretty buttonful zone here, multicultural, buttons everywhere. <laughs> These kind of, uh, this particular form, you know, whereas probably most of us would feel more naturally relaxed if we just kind of Sat, sat in little groups of twos and threes and circles and so forth and went for walks instead we sit in these kind of phalanx, phalanxes <laughs> but this is you know, so there's all these kind of things that we haven't intended they just happened so Vipaka isn't necessarily intention, karma is intention Vipaka is just results, effects and important bit to, to, to work on is that if, to acknowledge the effects, you have to acknowledge them, otherwise they're liable to create, be the, 
the triggers for fresh karma. That is, if you don't acknowledge feeling awkward or embarrassed or whatever it is, the likelihood is that through that not knowing it, not seeing it, you get a kind of funny feeling and then you, you say things that really didn't really mean. Or if, you know, what did I say that for? Kind of snipey remark or, or you don't feel very comfortable. So you actually, karma gets created because when, through lack of really reviewing the vipaka, the results we have, which are often not even that conscious, the latent tendencies come up through, the, through this old inheritance. Probably one of the, the um, things I see people have to work with most commonly is, is shame and fear in, in, uh, in the context that I've been in. Fear not being good enough. You know, when you, particularly you come into situations where there's not necessarily a lot of, of equal contact. We don't kind of hang around and be in a friendly, easy way. Mostly you come into situations where there's a sense of arahantship, Buddha, complete purity, Nibbana, amazing samadhi, non-stop effort, with very, very high standards. You think, oh God, I really got a wrench to get to that place. You tighten up. And <laughs> always feel you're not, never making it. <laughs> so then, you know, most people will not say, oh well, the problems are the, the standards are too high. Most people say problems are not good enough. Yeah. So you get the, the shame, and uh, you know, not not wanting to be seen in that particular way. So a lot of these things come in. Maybe also, you know, when you're with people who are more gifted, you feel less. Some people are very gifted verbally. Some people are very gifted in terms of their emotional sensitivity. Some people are good at lifting heavy weights. <laughs> so, you know, whatever it is, you can still oh, I'm not as good as she is, he is. Yeah. So this kind of can go on, this stuff. So I think the important message is to say you don't have to be that good. You know, let's get a refuge going. You don't have to be that good to be here. Just good enough and trying, like, you know, being honest. Yeah, so a sense of what can, what can arise through that. Now, when we practice in this context, then, you know, just, just, we're not saying, you know, not good enough, therefore do whatever you like, but actually to witness, to wake up to that, that sense of it and explore it. So this isn't just a, a kind of cave-in, but because the hindrances cease dependent upon the arising of mindfulness and awareness. So there's got to be something they cease into. You don't just cave in, you're aware of the feelings of disappointment or dis- self-disparagement. Then you stay with that. You don't abandon yourself. Don't abandon the topic. Don't abandon presence. 
that's the most thorough way. Or if you do abandon it, you say, I just can't manage this right now. We'll get back to it. Hmm. Even if something's too difficult, then at least you just say, we'll just park that for a while. Get back to it. Just work with that. It's not... And so certainly one of the um, domains that a lot of this stuff occurs in is in kind of social uh, external context when we're picking up what kinds of messages and that's really where they have to be addressed. Simply speaking that one of the things to be aware of is the tendency to, to the abandonment of presence begins with abandoning your body. This means, you know, it's obviously the body's still here, but you're not really in it anymore. You're in a, maybe a, you can feel a kind of emotional flutter, and then a series of thoughts come out, and that's really where you are. There's no sense, there's a considerable loss of bodily presence, you're not grounded. Mm. And so you notice this in in uh, social situations where you, funny you see, you, your speech starts getting very blur, either blurting or choked. You can't speak, or you're blurting, or you're apologising for yourself. You know, something's being lost here. Or your mind is thinking, it's running around thinking. Often it's a matter of of just really slowing down, exercising that, staying in your staying in your body with that uncomfortable feeling. So that you bring a skillful intention into play rather than a reaction. And then the results. So then as you bring the skillful intention, if it's a skillful intention, you know, and you're actually sustaining the factors of awakening, so it's about, there is mindfulness, so... You know, that is one of the causal factors. It's a conditioned factor. Something that arises can be brought into play. Uh, it tends to cut off the proliferations and the alternatives and the I am's. And then that there's a, you know, something is gradually being brought to out of reactivity into the place of dispassion and it starts to just cease, empty. So 
there's cause and effect there. The role of mindfulness, when it does have right view, is to be mindful of what is appropriate to be mindful of every as situations change. So we're not, you know, so you really want to be mindful of the, of the sankharas, the particular ones that arise. You know, obviously we could be mindful of, you know, lifting a pail of water or something, but probably what's more important is to be mindful of the agitation of trying to make sure you do it right. You know, so the right view is really looking at the cause and effect process, what effects are really happening, yeah, and then what is the right input, the right place to release that particular effect, so you're not creating more out of it. Try to practice that when you when you think something, or when you say something. Just try to, you know, deliberately think something and stay present in your body to feel the effects of that. Like a neutral thought. You know, I am I am in this room or whatever it is, or I am a, you know, whatever neutral thing, Egyptian male, whatever it is. Doesn't create much effect. And just notice that so you can actually witness how much of your attention goes to the thought, when it's a pretty neutral thing, and then as you as the thought stops, feeling has the body now, and then with something that's got a little more personhood to it, selfhood to it, you know, and you feel a little more agitation, and then what happens to that? And then can you come back? into your body, and so on. So you're kind of deliberately witnessing, getting, getting familiar with the, how any thought tends to, to pull out, mm. and then releasing it tends to, to give you the opportunity to come back if you keep pointing your mind. So sometimes when the mind gets really disconnected, you know, so you're just thinking, 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 you stop thinking. It doesn't go in the body, it just goes into a state of confusion or, or blankness. So that's to be that overall sense of, you know, being fully here, being fully present. Can you feel your presence? Can you feel your body in that? And then try to do that as an exercise so that, you know, when topics get a little more lively or pointed, you've got some, some way in which you don't have to keep getting thrown back into the old inheritance of fear and blame and getting it right and not being listened to and so forth. And there's a very powerful effect that can have because if we, any of us do that, has an effect on whoever we're talking to. So it can actually take the heat out of topics. Mm. You realize there's bound to be heat in people's minds. There's, there's inheritances here. It's not unusual.
uh, people getting a little bit agitated, <laughs> as you might have noticed. Because <laughs> this is where it, this is where it's all coming out, you know. So not to be kind of shocked or knocked around by that. Can we just at least not pick it up in ourselves? Most important, before you even try and sort somebody else out, you know, it doesn't work like that because you haven't got to the place of cessation yourself. So how can you How can anybody else show anybody else the way? Cause and effect. This is right view, and really trust it. Sometimes the effect takes a while, you know, but know the causes that. What you're putting in is is skillful. Where to put it, where you put it, and a simple process, you know, come back into presence, back into the body. Other things will tend to follow on from there. There's a natural consequence of being fully present. All kinds of um, tendencies don't arise. The nervousness, the uh, the uh, needing to hold on. When you've got some place to stay in yourself, there's a whole lot of stuff you don't really need, that, you don't really care that much about. So a lot of issues don't lose their heat just by that alone. This is how fairly uh, ordinary things can show us rather wonderful uh, transcendent experiences they're transcendent because particularly this place of cessation is the, is where you, you really get the, the understanding that you don't, have to, you don't have to do this it happens and that is immensely transformative to your whole world view of trying to get somewhere, trying to make it work, trying to stop being this and that. You know, it's, the, it's from dispassion. Almost like a being with yourself in a way, a dispassionate way, that the cessation of these fears and awkwardnesses and strivings and restlessness comes around. Yeah. Oh it happens that is immensely transformative because you really begin to get a sense of what anatta means at that particular juncture there's nobody doing it that's immensely relieving because you you realise that the most trustworthy and important feature of your life it's not something you're doing. It's something that happens. But it happens dependent upon doing. The doing that keeps you being truthful, careful, compassionate, not giving up on yourself, touching those points again and again. And it's simple, you know, can you be with this? Can you be in your body with this? Can you you allow that place to open that will do it for you? 
And through this experience of cessation comes what's called relinquishment or release, vatsaga. So the sequence is viveka, viraga, niroda, vatsaga, detachment, which comes through acknowledgement, just basically actually acknowledge your stuff as your stuff and not, you know, lose, take your eye off the ball, think it's something out there, but hey, this is the important bit. Dispassion, the kind of opening empathic space around that cessation, it ceases and then from that comes this real transformation to, you'd shift up, something shifts over. It's called a change of lineage, whereby instead of identifying with all that, the me bit that's doing everything, you, you sort of say, ah, oh, it's the space, isn't it? You know, it's the, whatever you like to do, the Dhamma, maybe, however you want to configure it. There is that. So, this is a relinquishment, it actually undermines the self, the basis of self view. It keeps undermining that basis of self view. Because self is not my refuge my starting place, not my refuge. And so that, you know, the, the defilements aren't mine, the attainments aren't mine. Notice how that kind of, the constellation of I am, the fundamental first fetter, you know, is that which actually locks the, the hindrances in place, isn't it? I am these things, these are mine, this is what I'm stuck with, I've got to get rid of these things. You know, that's what locks it there. These things certainly need to be disbanded, but the beginning of that has to occur through acknowledgement, dispassion. So it's not I am, it's just this is this this is happening at this time in this particular way. And really kind of giving yourself the time to investigate the whole experience. And that's dispassion, that's investigation, that's easing, and then there's a ceasing. Mm. So this is the Aryan view or the noble right view is of whatever arises ceases. I don't have to cease it. <laughs> it arises, it ceases. Yeah. Which sounds such an innocuous statement. I mean, so what? But actually it ceases when it's referring to Sankara's is a very big statement because it's not me in there doing it and you know it's actually a and it's not just accident that's you know like oh this is that and this is that but actually you know something stops something else starts but really knowing the sense of the you know the blowing out the disbanding the unbinding of it releasing itself quite, uh, well, obviously, delight, illuminating, delightful, the sense of relief in all that. And so this may be something that, you know, liberation is a gradual process that we may experience momentarily around just one particular little bit, you know, just around, you know, coming to terms with irritation or resentment or something like that. No longer being uh, frightened of your moods and emotions, 
larger things, handling or being sexual impulses, so you're no longer caught or frightened around that. You can just kind of see that for what it is. It doesn't catch. And the thing is that none of this stuff actually has to be, has to be a, you know, put in the place where it can cease. You, doesn't, you can't cut it off. You can cut it off in terms of action, but not in terms of, of being, of a latent tendency. And of course, all this really means that the, 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 naturally the, the sense of samadhi will deepen, the ease, the resting, the ripening, both through the process, which is one of mindfulness and easing and equanimity, and in the result. Mind is steady, stable. <coughs> 